Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I am David Hopkins, Professor of Humanities, your host and your guide. So without further delay, let's go ahead and get started. You know, I received some excellent feedback from people on the last podcast, which I talked more about political deception and the tactics, tools, the psychology of deception. But I really left the mainstream media and the press out of the out of the focus to spend more time on tactics, psychology, cognitive issues that can manipulate us. So hearing from people who think this topic warrants more discussion, this time I'm going to stay closer to the topic of mainstream media and shift the focus that direction. So, you know, in preparing for this particular podcast, I thought it would be rather boring to just regurgitate the same thing about the media that we hear every day, that they're quote-unquote fake news, they're shamefully biased and self-serving. You know, by now, we all we all know that this is pretty much the case most of the time. You know, if it's new to you, this idea that, whoa, really? The media is biased? You know, somehow maybe you were hiding under a rock somewhere, or you still believe our media is an honest broker presenting both sides equally or impartially just delivering the news. I mean, you can Google for yourself media bias and you can see the studies that show how incredibly biased these are. And you can just read those for yourself. But I think for the most point, the argument has pretty much been made and proven, you know, minus a few good sources here and there that are at least trying to strive to be news sources, the news media in general, as we know it, or as we knew it in the past, is is dead. You know, what is more interesting to me is not that it has happened, but how did it happen and why did it happen? Going beyond the surface of this is actually much more intellectually challenging, and I think it provides more insights than the same old boring, obvious statements on biased news. You know, then finally, at the end of the podcast, I'll discuss quickly, you know, some things we can all do going forward to try and navigate the landmines of the media machine and and finding some of those good quality sources. So many of us, myself included, I mean, I personally, I still feel anger at times when I turn on cable news or I read a biased, venom-spewing article produced by our self-proclaimed, you know, the esteemed news media. We have seen the bias so many times, and we know it's there. But deep down, it does. It still bothers us, and, and anger can still boil up when we hear those biased news stories. You know, even though our expectations really are that they will be biased more often than not, and they will skew stories, and they will create reams of content based on things like anonymous insiders over and over again. So the question really we have to ask ourselves is, why are we still upset? Why do we have these expectations of impartiality when they've proven time and again not to have them? You know, I do believe deep down we we almost mourn this loss, this death of the news media. Because here's a fact, in a free society, a democracy like the United States of America, we know the in indispensable value of a free, honest, and unbiased press. And our founding fathers of this nation, when you study it, surely understood this as well. You know, Thomas Jefferson, you know, said that our our liberty depends on the freedom of the press. And that cannot be limited without being lost. And here's a quote directly, quote, no government ought to be without censors. And where the press is not free, no one ever will. 
you know, in a functioning democracy, the people, we have the right to know the facts, not political narratives, not the Democratic and re or Republican quote unquote version of the truth. The press from the very onset of our country was supposed to serve as the watchdog. The media is supposed to be our check on governmental power and corruption. For our democracy to work efficiently and effectively, we, the people, you know, uh, the ones that actually decide who to elect into office, we need to be well informed. And this is becoming increasingly difficult over time. So when the news media is doing its job properly, they are educating voters, telling them telling all of us about the goings-on in government. They're giving us updates on political candidates, both the pros and the cons of each. We shouldn't have to switch from one channel to the other to get the pros and the cons. You know, the relationship, when it works right, it's very sidronistic. You know, a free press can only exist in a free society. And a free society cannot flourish without a free and independent press. Each of these are indispensable to the other. So I believe so much of the anger and the resentment we have towards the modern news media is a sense of betrayal. All of us have been betrayed or stabbed in the back at one time or another in our lives, and we know what it feels like. In many ways, the media has betrayed us. We feel they violated our trust as they no longer do what they were what they promised to do or what they were supposed to do. But even worse, they still attempt to look us square in the face and deny they are biased. Heck, even Fox News called itself the quote-unquote fair and balanced news broadcast. On the liberal side, the pundits look aghast. They're almost stunned when they are accused by Trump or others of being a mouthpiece for the far left. I mean, they literally can look in the camera and say, what? Who, me? How dare you? I'm a respected member of the press. This relationship is tarnished, almost certainly, which I hope not, beyond repair at this point, without any major changes. And many people, they're just ticked off that our ability as citizens to make sound decisions and remain a functioning free democracy relies on them to deliver the news. We need news. We want news, but we want it without hyperbole. You know, it's not a coincidence that when socialist regimes or communist regimes seize power, the most important industry to take control over is the media. TV, radio, newspapers, and now the internet, they have to be controlled first and foremost. In short, the Founding Fathers were absolutely correct. It is impossible to have a truly free and democratic society without a vibrant and a healthy press. You know, sadly, I believe this sickness in the soul of the press is terminal. You know, the, the loss of incredible potential is staggering. You know, as I thought through this potential, really, it, it's a dangerous word, right? You know, in, in our personal lives, oh, that kid has so much potential. This company or this product has so much potential. You know, too many kids or companies, they carry the weight of this heavy burden of potential heaped on their head. And that can lead to anxiety, stress, or failure. But in the news media, what could have been almost angers me as much as the betrayal. I can see in this age of technology and access to so much data, so much reach, the potential of a noble, honest, insightful media digging out facts, real facts, and the ability to deliver truth that is vetted 
analyzed, scrutinized, and quality checked, then distributed to all across huge swaths of video, social media, web articles, TV, radio. I mean, it could reach billions instantaneously to to educate everyone on what is going on true and real and honestly it would keep politicians in check you know think about it with our access to information it's it's unlike anything we've ever experienced before you know this power to sped, spread truth to keep the government in check to weed out corporate corruption to improve social and economic justice i mean the opportunity is so strong, but yet, if only, if only, if only the media were trustworthy, honest, unbiased, disciplined, focused on a mission of service, you get the whole story. You know, it's hard to imagine the global impact on freedom of thought, freedom of expression, freedom in general that could have been. With this global revolution in technology, the media had the potential if only they would have grabbed it. It could be one of the greatest, most profound forces of change and honesty and goodness in the world. You know, even in the sad, decrepit state that we're in right now, the media still wields power and influence. Imagine if they would have properly deployed themselves. But... They didn't. They shrank from the task. Uh, They left that potential completely unfulfilled. They sold out. So instead, we now witness mainly angry, petty, biased peddlers, uh, many of them no better than gossip mongers, content with being a flock of sheep, all saying the same thing, all tweeting identical admonitions or praises in unison, for their political biases, for their team. Their men, their mental stability is childlike. They even become downright mean-spirited, and you can even hear the seething hate when they run across views that don't match their, their own views while interviewing the quote-unquote other side. Often their panel discussions, as they call them, are like a group of two-year-old children squabbling and talking over each other they they destroyed over a century of trust and we're not over this yet emotionally you know it may be a little melodramatic but you know we're still rolling through the stages of grief on the death of this media denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and you probably are somewhat like me I can flip-flop across these stages uh, of, of grief just real quickly depending on the day and the story that I may happen to be exposed to. So I don't want to waste time in this podcast to debating those on the left who despise Fox News because they take the conservative slant and say, well, yeah, that ridiculous Fox News, they're not really quote-unquote news. Well, here's a news flash. None of the cable networks provide much, if any, news, especially in the political arena. You know, if you can find one, and you may find some out there that are actually still doing news reporting, and I think they're great, and I hope they gain traction, I hope they get tons of audience, but let's be honest, it's really hard to find them anywhere. Or, if you're on the right, You know, we don't need to begin the CNN sucks chant that we hear at Trump rallies. Yes, they do suck. Pretty much all of them suck all of the time in regards to delivering political news. So, you know, trust in the media. I saw a recent survey that literally said trust in the media as as it's at an all time low ever, ever since they've been monitoring it. So both sides of the political party can can agree on something here that the media is not trustworthy. I mean, trust in institutions actually had the media ranked lower or below Congress. Now, in our current climate, to be trusted less than Congress, that is an epic feat of failure. 
And that's where the media is at right now. But let's move beyond the obvious premise. The media is dead. First, what caused it to die? Then, of course, the more challenging question and the very sad conclusion of why did this even happen? You know, if you're old enough, uh, I'm sure you remember the evening news. I definitely cannot remember Walter Cronkite, but Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw would come on. There would be a single trusted voice and they literally read the news. They weren't pontificating or giving their opinion. They were literally reading the news. And there was a day when this happened. Go to YouTube, pull up Walter Cronkite and his, one of his newscasts and you can see that. So this lasted from basically the inception of television in the 1940s. And it made it all the way to the 80s. And the news broadcaster's job, not to give an opinion, not to raise a voice in anger, disgust, or joy. It was steady, objectively delivering the facts. That was the job. That was the expectation. They garnered incredible trust and people would listen in and they would hear it and they could accept it for the most part as being fact. In print, Americans would pick up a newspaper and read news. And if you wanted opinion, you very clearly would go to the opinion section of a newspaper and the two would never cross. You know, the convention still exists today of having the opinion pages, but basically opinion is now bleeding all across every single political news article that exists in the mainstream media today. And so let's look at what the three causes were and you know the first thing that actually happened we can track this back uh, and it happened because of an innovation and innovation happens so off or cultural changes are sparked by innovation and really if we look at the year 1980 and the advent and the launch of CNN and cable news this literally revolutionized the news media from the outset because we went from standard half-hour, hour-long broadcasts to news running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, over 8,000 hours of broadcast time in a year. And this was a huge innovation. So here sits the cable news company. They need to fill up content not for one hour in a day and scour the country and the world to come up with an hour, they now need to fill up their station and their broadcast time all day long. And in the void of substance, the channels had to begin manufacturing stories. They had to amp up dramatically topics, the drama, the urgency, the importance Thus began the quote-unquote breaking news hysteria of cable TV with no news reporter, investigative reporter, but instead TV personality types. And the ones that survive in this world, they were loudmouth, they're brash, they yell, they fight, they scream at each other. You know, having one news reporter read the news can take a few minutes. But read a snippet of news, then bring in a panel of three partisan blowhards, and you can go for 30 minutes or an hour long. You know, those talking head personalities, they burst on the scene because now you had to fill 24 hours a day. So the seed was set literally from launch with CNN. And I want to make a comment here. You know, I don't. This isn't the CNN of 2020 that we're talking about. You know, really, CNN garnered incredible respect and trust from its launch. You know, just over the years, there's just been a steady decline due to not only this new format requiring a whole different business model, the investigative work, you know, properly vetting of sources to ensure accuracy. It really had to be thrown to the side because of expediency. As this type of reporting, 
It takes a lot of time to do that right. And in a 24-hour news cycle, quite frankly, there just isn't time. So producers scream, bring me news, any news. I, I need something. Bring me news with lots of drama. Bring me sensationalism. You know, I want it hot. I want it angry. I want it bloody. I want it messy, whatever the case might be. And, you know, real investigative journalists in the press, they just didn't fit in anymore. They were almost like dying dinosaurs. There wasn't any money left for them. It, it simply didn't sell to be deliberative, to be impartial, to be reasoned, to analyze both pros and cons on any given argument or issue. That's boring, boring, boring. And so instead, we get these voices that started to thrive in this new news cycle. And who are these people? Sadly, a lot of them were empty suits and skirts. They were partisan hacks with this food fight panel, screaming, yelling, talking over each other. And, you know, I want to talk about this food fight model. And it's you can see it tonight if you want to just turn on just turn on Fox. Uh, listen to Sean Hannity. Turn on CNN when they have the a group of people all on the stage. But basically, you know what it looks like. They take a partisan host. Uh, then they bring in a quote-unquote panel of experts. Uh, they hold really cool titles like quote-unquote senior political analyst or former White House official, former chief of staff, former representative of Congress, former Washington insider, or you know, whatever, whatever they want to bring in. And if the host is liberal... You know, you'll make sure and you'll notice this, that the panel will consist of two or three liberals, but they'll put one conservative, one token conservative on there. Then the food fight model says, throw out a topic, just a little snippet of news. Maybe it's a, one of Donald Trump's tweets or maybe Trump visited somewhere. And then the yelling, the screaming, the name calling ensues. They draw these dramatic conclusions. Oh my goodness, this is this is actually going to mean the end of democracy as we know it. You know, that type of just crazy, off-the-cuff, really loud, really brash. Sometimes they, they speak over each other. Sometimes they yell. Sometimes they name-call. You know, the one who out-talks the most um, usually wins. And, you know, if by some chance of miracle they give the token conservative just enough time... And it appears like he's going to win. The host will step in, re-maneuver, and recast the whole thing so that the exact outcome is achieved at the end of that segment. And each segment, you know, two minutes, five minutes long. Then they'll move on to the next and they'll start the whole thing all over again. You know, we can reverse that dynamic um, on the conservative side because it works identically the same way. There's some shows that won't even bring in anybody from the other side whatsoever. They'll throw out a quote-unquote topic for debate, but there won't be anybody actually on the other side to debate it. Uh, so, you know, it's the same thing, and it is a food fight model. And it, it's literally impossible to gain knowledge on any given topic amidst the chaos of that thing. You know, 25 years ago, who would have ever imagined a day where a TV no news show would be without any nonpartisan journalists? And that's the cable news business that we're seeing out there right now in a nutshell. It isn't so hard to see why the quality of news reporting is dropping based on what you're seeing in the cable news networks. Just the next time you go out there, turn on CNN. Turn on Fox News and you can see it very clearly. You know, it is so easy, fast to give your opinion on anything. I mean, you could ask me anything. I got an opinion instantaneously for you. I probably don't even have to think it through a whole lot. We all we all do that. You know, but if you throw out a bunch of know-it-alls in front of a camera and drop one snippet of news and and, and the talking heads, they, they could go on for hours if you don't interrupt them with commercials and, you know, broadcast uh, scheduling time uh, by the producers. So we all know people 
that are always right on everything. Some may be very close to you, even in your family. Drop a fact, an event, or a little occurrence, and they can drone on endlessly exactly with the right answer. And this is what we're dealing with most of the time with cable news networks. You know, but on the other side of the coin, to be a truly investigative journalist, and there are still some out there, uh, it requires patience and diligence intellect this this ability to weigh and analyze options they're dying beasts unfortunately in our modern media so no wonder we don't trust the news most of what we call news isn't news anymore it's opinion blathering but i think you get the point time to move on let's talk about the second thing that happened and i don't think this gets enough attention in the overall destruction of trust by people in the news media and it's actually kind of a boring one it's an fcc regulation and you know before we go there i just want to give a little aside and i always talk to my students about this you know many times it is it isn't headline legislation uh, politicians are debating that are the most important to us you know a lot of times The politicians, they like to focus our attention on the bright lights, the big cameras, the big breaking congressional hearing or debate. You know, politicians love those because the camera lights are really bright and they get tons of personal attention when they get to ask the questions and give their little diatribe speeches. Uh, Most of the time, these things lead to nothing. Um, They like us to focus... uh, on those things but really where the terrible big tough decisions happen are usually in those things that don't get a lot of airtime so this happened in 1987 and if some of you who were around and paying attention you may have noticed this but now it's kind of forgotten news But in 1987, one of the most fateful and terrible decisions ever made in regards to the news media happened. Uh, Back in the day, Ronald Reagan was president and the Democrats controlled both the House and the Senate. So it was a bipartisan Congress when this massacre occurred. Uh, There was an FCC policy that had been intact to regulate media basically since the onset of television. And it was called the Fairness Doctrine. It was a wonderful idea, actually. And all it did is it required the networks to provide balanced coverage of both sides of any controversial issue. So that the viewers would have enough information to make up their own minds. I mean, what a great idea, right? Well, it was eliminated in 1987. I guess the idea of fairness didn't make sense in 1987. I don't know what exactly they were they were thinking, uh, but the lobbying of Congress and the White House by cable TV was viciously intense from what I've read about this topic, and basically politicians caved, and the FCC caved, and they eliminated it. You know, this left open the media to regulate itself and determine fairness on their own. I mean, this is actually laughable and funny how ridiculous and absurd the idea of the news media regulating itself to make sure they are fair so they can deem themselves fair just by their own analysis of themselves. Oh my goodness. Talk about letting the wolves loose in the in the hen house. You know, many of us don't even realize what we, the American citizens, lost when this fairness doctrine was eliminated. And I'm sure in 1987 they had no clue the depths of where this would descend. But I want to actually just read for you the exact language uh, from the doctrine. Quote, the doctrine imposes affirmative responsibilities on a broadcaster to provide coverage of issues of public importance that is adequate 
and fairly reflects differing viewpoints. In fulfilling its fairness doctrine obligations, a broadcaster must provide free time for the presentation of opposing views if a paid sponsor is unavailable and must initiate programming on public issues if no one else seeks to do so, end quote. Wow, I think maybe the worst words on there for the businesses were free. Uh, in essence, getting rid of this doctrine, it killed the requirement of TV news to be impartial and balanced. And it isn't shocking this changed everything. By 1996, we see the O'Reilly factor on Fox and an explosion of these partisan, very in-your-face news broadcast opinion shows. And pretty much the stake was set in the ground. And it's went even further from there. The Sean Hannity show in 2001. Now I believe one of the most highly rated broadcasts and cable TV. Rachel Maddow in 2008 on the far left side. And now major swaths of CNN and Fox News devote incredible amounts of time to these opinion-based shows that take news items or alleged news items and they talk about them uh, with fire, emotion, and fear. What was the third thing? I want to talk about the internet. And by the mid-1990s, I guess you could say the internet was becoming mainstreamed. And the explosion of online connectivity and consumers, you know, moving to get news online made it even worse for the mainstream media as we progress all up until around 2010. Now, I saw some really recent numbers of where people get their news online, and the numbers are staggering. 90% of people now get their news, their political news, online. Reddit. Facebook, online sources of every kind of ilk, personal blogs. Uh, we're almost certainly not going back to the old school. Just like TV knocked out radio, the internet is knocking out cable news and traditional TV as the dominant force in how we get our political news. You know, the internet's influence doesn't end just on the edge of the computer screen either. You know, as people's minds become more attuned to the quick, the instantaneous worlds of social media blogs and personal websites, uh, it's caused traditional media to try and adapt to this new audience's expectations and their lowered attention spans. I talked about this lowered attention span um, in the 13th podcast. You know, sadly, Americans are becoming more accustomed to fast, short, dumbed down, abbreviated, just exactly like they get online, as well as the mass media and accommodating them. So television programs, they're adding text scrawls and pop-up ads and magazines and newspapers. They, they're shortening down their articles. They're introducing these capsule summaries and they're crowd their pages with easy to browse info snippets. Uh, the USA Today is very famous for that. Uh, even cable news interviews. You know, if you watch cable news, they usually will only interview someone for two to three minutes. And just as they start to get into something really interesting and deep, you know, they're moving on to the next breaking news. That's what I want to say right here, too. One of the things that drew me to do podcasting is the long format. You know, I can talk to you. Eventually, I'm going to start bringing in some interviews here. I'm not delineated by time. I'm not delineated by space. I can just have an in-depth conversation with you without these quick hit superficial shots. But back to the topic, uh, when, you know, in March of this year, a great example, the New York Times, you know, they decided to devote the second and third pages of every single edition to article abstracts. You know, the, the creator, uh, Tom Bodkin, who's pretty famous in the in the New York Times, you know, he, he explained that these quote-unquote shortcuts would give busy readers a quick taste of the day's news, sparing them the less efficient method 
oh, of actually turning the pages and reading the articles. See, even these old media players, they have little choice but to try and play by the new media rules, the the vaunted newspaper of record known as the New York Times, you know, in its glory days has now become like a Cliff Notes version for the attention span weaklings uh, skimming articles so fast that they can't even invest enough time to turn the pages. Goodness, is that silly or what? But in addition, how many news articles are just created by these, it's hard for me to call them reporters. You know, I use the term loosely. Uh, reporters who, who use Twitter grab a 160-character tweet, and then they pontificate their opinion for 500 to 800 words and then hit publish. You know, sadly, this type of reporting seems to be the extent of most of journalistic inquiry in our modern world. Uh, you know, grab a snippet of a fact or a tweet or a soundbite. Um, a lot of times you'll see things like, oh, a large segment of the population is seething over X, Y, or Z, or Twitter is up in arms or enraged, then surround it with opinion, partisanship, uh, build a flamboyant title and hit publish. You know, yet of course, the, country, the whole country isn't usually enraged or up in arms. There's only actually about 20% of the population in America actually use Twitter. And in regards to that population on Twitter, 10% of the users on Twitter produce 80% of the tweets. But hey, why worry about the details of being objective when you can just publish quickly, right? You know, I, I don't know why this one annoys me the most, these reporters who taking a pulse of the nation based on superficial internet viral data, and then they pass it off as the country, journalism professors, journalism deans, what in the world is going on in your schools? How are graduates entering the workforce like this? Where is your influence on the media industry in general? Why are we pushing out partisan drone graduates into the industry? You know, I, I really, I want to understand this. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop here on this one. I'm, I'm getting myself all worked up. Maybe I need to dig a little deeper myself, see what's happening in our journalism schools, that this is becoming acceptable more and more frequently. And I'm sure the issue is a lot more complex than I'm making it. Uh, but let me shift gears here. You nor I, uh, we we have to be who we are and we cannot be who we are not. And it really comes across as fake and disingenuous when, when we don't do this. The internet has caused such a cataclysmic shift in news consumption. And the traditional press and news me media, they're trying to recreate themselves and emulate the world of the web. Well... In doing this, they've made things much, much worse. And in essence, they've eroded their credibility, the very thing that made them trusted. Trying to be the internet is not working. You know, most people don't want the true and honest press to be like the internet. Internet. We want a deliberative, a rational, and a reasonable nonpartisan press because it is important to have this. So in the end of this, I see three primary causes. Of course, there's more than this, and I've scratched the surface, but I think we can boil it down to three core ones. The first one is innovation happen. Cable news TV burst onto the scene, and it disrupted that traditional model of reading basic news at your five o'clock hour, your six o'clock hour, your weekend show. Uh, so innovation of 24 hour cable news. Number two, the elimination of the safeguard, that fairness doctrine going away in 1987 was just a dagger. It was a dagger 
in the heart of fairness for sure. And then finally, this third innovation, the internet happened just like the internet happened and has disrupted so many different industries. It has disrupted our news media in ways that we still are struggling to underhand understand so these are the cultural and the political shift but it still doesn't explain why why we got the what's innovation elimination of uh, the fairness doctrine and then the internet but it doesn't explain you know why did the media get corrupted you know this industry could have been expanding quality news coverage with the innovation and creation of cable TV instead of degrading it to reality TV show drama. Also, the elimination of the fairness doctrine did not have to mean all the news networks couldn't maintain a fair, ethical, and balanced standard of conduct. I mean, all of us, we... We have to continue to hold a certain moral code in our professional and our personal careers uh, with with the with government. I mean, we we don't have to compromise, but the media did, and they went rogue with their partisanship. And then finally, the internet revolution. It didn't mean the industry had to make reporters lazy, haphazard, quickly publishing rubbish upon rubbish when they're when they're called out on anything, they just simply post, oops, my bad, uh, here's an edit, an apology, and move on and do it again and again and again. You know, So this brings us to even a more difficult and important question. Why? Why? Why in the world did it happen? I think it's almost easier to find the what, which we went over, and then harder to figure out why in the world did they do this? So why is vital? Why, why did this vital institution of democracy, did it decay into its current state? You know, the answer, I believe, is incredibly simple. Money. You may think, oh, geez, that's it. Just money. I wanted something more juicy. I wanted you to say something like they got all... They let their liberal or conservative biases own them. But, you know, let's trace the money of this industry. Nearly all news and content distribution right now is controlled by a very select group of giants. It's so select, I can tell you their names in about five seconds and you're going to recognize every single one of them probably. Time Warner, Walt Disney, Viacom, Seagram, News Corp, Sony, GE, and AT&T. That's where pretty much all the news programming come from. So this is where you say, ah, of course, it's the liberal CEO or the conservative CEO who just wants to do nothing but push out their agenda. Well, I mean, it is possible and it could potentially play into it, but Having worked in the stock market, following corporate America a long time, I doubt the CEOs see red or blue before they see green. I mean, nothing is more beautiful than the color of money to these corporations. And I highly doubt they would jeopardize their own personal, they, they would sacrifice the company being viable just so they can push out, you know, some sort of an agenda. You know, these major corporations, and I've read them and you know them, they, they have a very wide and a very broad financial interest in a wide variety of industries, you know, including movies and music and alcoholic beverages and theme parks and professional sports franchises, telephone services, power plants, just... <laughs> They're they're huge. And, you know, just as the famous Michael Jordan quote, when someone tried to get him to take a political stance and why he doesn't get political, he made the very famous comment, quote, conservatives buy shoes, too, end quote. So, you know, the desire to earn profits in one area of the business might create conflict with the duty to provide fair and unbiased TV news coverage. You know, the social justice crusades of the younger generations. 
uh, put even more pressure on corporations to conform to the prevailing trends that they see out there. Public corporations, they always have a goal to turn a profit. And if they don't, CEOs lose their jobs, stockholders bail, and the company's viability is endangered. But more importantly than conforming to social pressures or conflicts of interest, you know, with with other business divisions, uh, with these publicly traded companies owning the news, the purpose of the press and media has changed substantially and very dramatically. You know, these corporations, these news agencies, these divisions of these massive conglomerates, they may never admit it publicly, but it is almost undeniable. So with publicly traded money-making mega corporations running the news agencies, it really stands to reason news would move from its early roots of serving the public, educating the population to make sound decisions in politics to making money. Because if they don't make money, they don't exist. And this nuance is incredibly important. So let's just call it like it is. Right now, in 2020, news is a commodity. The press and news media no longer have a primary goal of serving the people, keeping us informed, or being a gatekeeper to protect people against large institutions and the government corruption and lies. So what does it even mean that they're a commodity instead of serving the public? A commodity, it's just a product. It's a product we consume, and it's basically interchangeable with all the other news producers. You know, like sheep, they produce basically the same thing for consumption, each fighting to be the loudest, most entertaining, and capturing the most viewers. It operates almost like a sitcom, you could say. It's it's entertainment. You know, I can sit down, watch Fox News, and, and if I want the conservative spin, I love to hear my opinion validated say these viewers of Fox News and oh there will be some funny mean shots and name calling of the other side it's great says the conservative and I can watch CNN if I want the same thing with a liberal spin or for the really hardcore who really like to be mad they'll watch the other side the conservative will turn on CNN just to get all riled up and angry uh you know Very few people, if we're going to be honest, have a real expectation on true education when we watch the news. They want the drama. They want the reaction. They want the spin. So news is basically now a commodity. It's not a public service of education. You know, the news media, they wield control over us until we understand that. Almost exclusively, news media is now entertainment. It is not news reporting. The days of being enraged and aghast when you hear the bias or you hear the slant, that really needs to just end. Once the purpose of the press and the media changed from its noble beginnings to work To working just to earn a buck, the landscape changed dramatically. The question is, will it be gone forever? And is this idea of an unbiased media now part of the history of our country? Well, if enough demand, enough open-minded, fair-minded people, not angry name-calling people, demanded it, Would the people want or be willing to go back to that old school Walter Cronkite style of news? I think all of us would like to say we would, where we can get both sides in a very patient, uh, investigative manner. Um, But if I'm honest, I have my doubts. So in the one sense, these media conglomerates, they're serving up like a commodity does and Unfortunately, what the buyer demands is what we're getting right now. You know, humans and companies, you know, they generally take the path of least resistance. And right now, that path is catering to very small, 
very specific demographics and baby food speeding the feeding the the, the partisan drivel that's basically what most people want to hear you know issues are always complex but i hope this gave you some insights beyond just ranting the media is biased i get so tired of hearing that we already knew that understanding what happened and one of the bigger biggest reasons why it happens happened give us a deeper perspective and really i hope it helps free us all from even worrying about it or being mad at it or stressed about it so much anxiety with cable tv right now and news in general everything is designed to hype you up anger you out uh it, it's just it's designed to just tweak on your emotions and if we understand what happened and why it happened it kind of chops the knees out from under them and they they won't have that same control over us anymore you know there are still unbiased or relatively unbiased places to get news they're really hard to find and you actually have to search them out online uh, but if you google impartial news sources there are still some free independent voices to consume political news and i don't want to recommend any of them specifically you can find them because i've seen them and some of them are really good they'll even provide they'll take a news article and then the or they'll take a fact or something going on and they'll let they'll give a pro and a con or a liberal or a conservative and a democrat and a republican view they'll lay them side by side so then you can read the read the event and then read the analysis so there, there's all kinds of sources out there and like i said just google impartial news sources and start sifting through the type that you would like to see because they're out there and i know you can find them so i want to thank those of you that you know wanted me to talk a little bit more about the news media in general and i hope you found this helpful you know in short you know, those founding fathers were absolutely right. It's impossible for us to have a truly free and democratic society without a healthy press. But if the reason why our press is so corrupted and so biased right now is because they're money hungry, the only way that that will ever change is if the people start rejecting in mass that format they stop watching food fights they stop watching shows that are just completely politically biased and instead people start seeking out moving towards and listening watching reading sources that are unbiased then those that have power and they begin you hit them in the pocketbook they may start to change and they may start to evolve back towards a more unbiased approach. But it all starts with us. It doesn't start with them. They will react when we react.